thank you, listeners and viewers, for making our podcast so successful. I am super excited the direction that we're headed and super excited for all of our guests and our upcoming guests and our past guests. And um, the future is very bright for our podcast. We're just going to keep growing this. So thank you for listening and tuning in. Today, we have um, Tara Miller. She's a psychotherapist way up in... British Columbia, Canada, and we were talking before the show, and she is blaming us for all the smoke that she has in her area. Usually, the past few years, it's that smoke coming down from British Columbia, um, getting to all us Washingtonians, but now it's it's us. So the wind shifted, and it is going up her way. So um, let's just pray for all the firefighters and all the first responders and that they get these fires out. I heard cooler weather and possibly even rain or snow in some of those areas is predicted, and let's just hope for that because that's really really the best way to put out a fire so let's just hope and pray for for everybody's safety so tara how are you welcome to our show i'm doing great thanks i'm happy to be here yeah well i'm so glad we connected uh, we connected through a mutual friend and i was looking for um, some kind of um, mental health counselor and you're going to explain exactly what you do um, but i'm going to introduce you a little bit and and talk um, and let you go, but you you specifically do SRT counseling to, as a psychotherapist, which is self-regulation therapy, and you actually have some personal experience with that, um, and that's kind of how you overcame some physical issues through SRT, and then it, it helped you so much you decided to go on and further your education and become a psychotherapist um, specializing in SRT. So can you tell me that story? I can. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of people go into mental health because of mental health symptoms. And we, we kind of have a history in mental health of chasing the symptoms to see how we can reduce the symptoms. And my story was a little different. Um, and it really has opened the door for other people where their complaint might be physical. And for me, it was a car accident that left um, a chronic shoulder injury called thoracic outlet syndrome and it wasn't healing and uh, the body workers that were working with me couldn't figure out why and I had a a massage therapist say you know I've heard about this self-regulation therapy and this might be something because this is related to a trauma that helps you move further along in your healing and in your pain reduction. So I ended up having the opportunity to start SRT sessions for myself for a physical complaint um, with the co-founder that actually created this method of of counseling and psychotherapy. So um, once I started in that, I mean, we realized that there wasn't just one trauma, like many people, there were many traumas that had happened in life that had filled up the container of my nervous system so that one thing happened like a minor fender bender and the system was so overwhelmed, it lost really the capacity to discharge that extra activation, come out of fight or flight. I was really stuck in fight or flight for probably many years and um, didn't know how to come back to a healthy baseline or homeostasis where my body even knew how to heal. So part of that process was looking at, we can work through the car accident in in a very specific mind, body, gentle, connected way. But what was happening also was that there were many things in the container that still were useful to be addressed. And so in the course of that year, the car accident was really the most minor thing that happened. I had had a kind of a lifetime of a lot of medical surgeries and medical issues. I was kind of a sick little kid 
came into adulthood, had this car accident, thought I was a really high functioning person, didn't really have mental health symptoms that I was aware of, um, and just lived a life where I felt like this was normal. So I had this car accident. And in the course of a year, it was like a domino effect of multiple other things that happened that really charged the cooker, really. So there was the car accident. Um, after that, uh, I had a very serious MRSA infection that became quickly life-threatening and very overwhelming. I had just gotten a divorce. I had two very small children, three and five. Two months later, my son was in the hospital and they thought he might have early stage leukemia. So I'm a single mom. I can't work. I'm in pain. I have antibiotics through my system for this MRSA that I was worried about. I'm worried about whether I'm going to survive, whether my three-year-old's going to survive, my five-year-old's getting bounced around uh, for care. And it turned out he didn't have leukemia, but that was after two weeks in the hospital of really them trying to figure out what was wrong with him. And um, then after that, there was more. <laughs> there just kept being more. There was a double pneumonia that happened um, after I finished the antibiotics for the MRSA. And then we completed that year um, with the kid's dad, my ex-husband, committing suicide. So one wow. trauma seemed to, oh, it was a wildfire of other traumas that just happened to happen in a very short period of time. And I was so lucky that it was the shoulder injury that sent me to this SRT founder um, to start doing the work because then as these other things happened, my nervous system was so full that the medical professional professions wanted to over-medicate me, diagnose me with everything from PTSD, anxiety, I had bad allergies, asthma, fibromyalgia, chronic pain disorder. I mean, the labels and the list was so extensive and the prescriptions that I never filled, but that I had were in a stack were so exhaustive. And I just thought intuitively, this, this is not right. This is not how I want to recover from any of these events, but this is not going to help me get through to the rest of my life, be the parent I want to be, be as resilient as I want to be. And so I did that work with self-regulation therapy to progress from all of those events, really learn how to regulate my own nervous system, learn how to build resilience. And then in the midst of that, decided when the car accident settlement came through, what a great opportunity to go back to grad school, retrain and do this with other people. So I went back to, I went to Gonzaga, got my master's and opened a practice to work specifically with trauma and, and lots of people in the similar situation. Wow. That's a lot to go through for sure. And that was in a period of like three months too, correct? The whole thing was about a year, but the, the, the illnesses and the really that life or death awareness was a three month period of time. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming during some of this, did, did they ever label you PTSD? Was there PTSD oh, yeah. for me? Uh, yeah, I would <laughs> think so. Right. Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, Janet and I are pharmacists, so we know all about the drug therapy. Well, I'm not going to say all about, but we know about drug therapy and it, it is very mm -hmm. common whether it's a physical ailment or a mental ailment. What do you do? You go to a traditional doctor and they just prescribe another drug. It's either another drug or surgery. Yep. And so you decided to go another route. You wanted to 
basically fix the problem instead of just treat symptoms. And and kudos, 100%. right? And kudos for you. So that's a great story, Tara. And if anybody has a story like that or they have questions for Tara, we are taking callers five zero nine five three seven zero four one one. We'd love to take your call um, over the airways today. So Janet, do you have some comments or questions um, for Tara? Well, Tara, I'm sorry that you had to go through all that, but it also looks like that could be part of blessing in disguise as well. And as far as giving you a direction to move forward. So um, mm-hmm. can you share a little bit about the training? Because I'm sure a lot of people are very interested in that because we always think about mental health counseling, but we have our own perspective about what that would be. So maybe you could enlighten us. Sure. Well, the training for SRT, I did it at the same time as I did uh, traditional school uh, at Gonzaga. And it was that too was a blessing because it taught me techniques and science and and things that I use in my practice daily that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. It wasn't part of that curriculum. And some places are adopting it now, but at the time, it certainly wasn't part of traditional counseling training. So I, so what I did as part of that was continue on with as much as I could get out of the SRT, including helping to train others. And a lot of it includes, you must get your own work done while you're doing the training. So they they don't have a bunch of trainers that are doing the training. It's the co-founders have created this. They're very meticulous in making sure that the people that are learning this modality have done their own work um, because there's always potential for harm. So they want to make sure the quality is there. They want to make sure there, there aren't people that are taking this training and potentially making people worse. And so that the SRT becomes part of the training. There's heavy neuroscience um, learning as part of it. And then all of your practice is supervised so that there is that sense of, of practice, learning and practicing how to do this in the best possible way for, for people. And it really is that mind-body connection of taking what we know about the nervous system, which is everything's connected, and understanding how the body and the mind are impacted by trauma, just like animals are impacted by trauma, how we hold trauma and how we heal from trauma, and using that to create a much different paradigm than what traditional psychotherapy, which is a lot of talking about the trauma, um, has had before. So tell us a little bit about the details of what is SRT. I know there's a lot of science behind it, but tell us about the details, what, a, what you would do with a typical patient to, um, you know, to train their mind and body into, uh, with uh, SRT. So we look at, really in the first session, we're looking at a tuning uh, in that session to the other person. So we're trying to connect with what level of activation they're bringing into the room as they are. And we can tell those things by how quickly people talk, by their breath, by, so we're looking at body cues and we're looking at, at different elements of where they are already. So we want to start in this moment versus going back to childhood or going back to traumas and, and having conversations about things that have happened in the past. We start in this moment and first of all, assess where they have resources already. So what I love about it is it's very strength focused. Everybody has positive attributes, resilience innate in them. 
sometimes we've just forgotten where that is or, or where it showed up or how to access it again. And so we start with looking at what resources the person already has, what strengths they already have, and creating space in their container by instead of going into the trauma first, we build resource first, we build regulation first, we help them get into their body into places that are settled or grounded or helping them work with their breath so that they know what it feels like to be in a parasympathetic state. And then building resources so that when we start working on some of the more serious events of their life, they already have something to draw on and draw off of. And we're always connecting everything that we do from the story or from the talking perspective to what's happening in their body and educating them along the way, which is every thought that we have, every memory, everything we talk about lights up the brain as if it's actually happening and releases all of those neurochemicals and impacts the entire physiology. So knowing that, let's look at how we can create a state that is more regulated or relaxed or healthier by connecting with the body when it's in a relaxed state. So a lot of that will be having somebody talk about a place that they really love or a time of their life that they feel that they felt the best or the healthiest or when they feel the best in their life right now. And then as they tell me about it, I'll interrupt when I see a shift and I'll say, what do you notice right now? And that pattern interrupt is so important because they connect into their body and they can access that then anytime in the future. So it's that self-regulation piece, which is oh, I notice that my belly relaxes. I notice my shoulders go down. I notice, so there's always a physical symptom that they can report that they notice. And that gives us a cue as a therapist, are you going into regulation? Or are you going into activation? And we help them navigate through both states and bring awareness to both states so that they can manipulate those to their own health on their own. That's awesome. So for our listeners and viewers that might not know what parasympathetic is, parasympathetic is the opposite of sympathetic. Will you explain sympathetic, which is fight versus flight versus parasympathetic, please? Sure. So I love the analogy of a deer in the woods where if it senses threat, we have the same nervous system. It goes into fight, flight, or freeze. And there's some others that people have brought in, but those are the main ones. The deer will usually flee because that's its best chance for survival. So that decision happens on an unconscious survival brain level. The deer will flee, that is activation. That's the sympathetic response. Your blood flow changes, it goes into your large muscles, your heart rate elevates, your respiration, your perspiration. Um, there's a whole bunch of physiological responses to prepare you for action. So that, that sympathetic response is to prepare you to do something to survive. The deer will go into that state, run away from the threat. As soon as it senses that the danger is over, it goes into parasympathetic, which is the break to that. It's the damper of, okay, we don't need this anymore because we can't actually survive in that high sympathetic state for long. It's just for a moment to survive when we're out of it the parasympathetic really needs to come online and bring us back down to baseline. So the deer will sense that there's no more threat. It will typically sweat and do these pronking movements. It'll jerk, it'll twitch, it'll shiver. And that physiological response also helps it come back down to what we call a baseline. And then because it's a deer and it doesn't have memory and the same brains that we have, it will just go back to eating grass. 
it won't kind of ruminate about, oh, you know, like I wasn't supposed to be in that part of the forest <laughs> and my mother told me I never should have done that. And now they're, you know, like we do that because we have memory, but the deer is healthier in that sense because it can have a response to survive, come back down. And it's all part of this autonomic survival function that we have in our nervous system. And then it goes on with life till the next one. Humans get stuck in that sympathetic arousal often because we haven't had the chance to fully complete the cycle or come back down to parasympathetic. There's been no opportunity to really shake it out and then go back to eating grass. It um, also is connected to, we tell the story a lot. We've been conditioned to be storytellers and telling stories about trauma doesn't necessarily heal trauma. In fact, it often makes it worse because it keeps it cooked in there. So we grab memories that are painful. We tell stories that are painful. We're drawn to painful music that stirs up sadness. Like we do things that will continue to cook the sympathetic arousal in our nervous system, which over time can lead to chronic illness in the body, but also in the mind. That's interesting. You talk about that, about, you know, sharing your stories in a traumatic event over and over again, actually kind of maybe could make it worse. I could kind of see where you're coming at. I can tell you from patients with physical ailments, let's say it's back pain. Um, well, the patient that forgets about their back pain and just goes on with life, they, they don't have as much back pain, but the patients that say, oh, I'm just, you know, it's the first thing they think about when they tell when they talk to anybody, I just have horrible back pain. It's always about my back. They, they kind of keep reliving that. And if you keep saying that you have that kind of trauma, whether it be a physical or an issue in the past, you keep, will, you will keep reliving it is what you're saying. Is that correct? It is. And it's very, I love Norman Deutsch's work on the brain that changes itself because he, he talks about it in a really easily understandable way for me, which is, um, at, talking about the concept of what fires together, wires together. So when you have an experience, you light up the brain and you create a neural pathway. And then when you remember it, lights up the brain, weaves it in a little bit tighter, talking about it, tighter, tighter, tighter. So then you have this neural pathway that the brain goes, well, that's the pathway of least resistance. I'll just go there. So it's a way that we naturally can increase the longevity of our own pain because we don't know any better, but we can actually consciously increase and wire and fire together over time in the wrong direction as well. And the good news with that is because of that concept of how we create neuroplasticity, how we create new neural pathways, we can do that in the healthier direction by wiring and firing in ways that are more resilient, that are healthier, create new pathways. And then it's not so much work. You don't need all the tools and the coping skills if you create new pathways in the brain that then the brain just goes, well, that's the new path I'm going to use. I'm going to imagine, just guessing here, that a lot of addictions are manifested in that way because it's the path of least resistance, true? True. Yeah. yeah. Jan Janet, do you have some comments for or questions for, for Tara? Well, I, I do have some uh, questions for you because in my lifetime, I know of individuals I had a friend who grew up and she had a traumatic injury when she was like in the fifth grade, fourth grade. And her um, resilience was amazing to me and still to this day, but she threw, she fell through a glass shower door and um, you know, just her survival and, and getting through it. But it wasn't just that she made it 
through that injury, she walked again, she played sports, she just she just kept going forward. So I'm assuming some of us as humans have learned a great way of handling, you know, so speak to that a little bit. I mean, what what's so different about her story versus, like Sean says, the person that ends up down a different path? It's true. So there is a part of that that is likely genetic. There is like whatever happens for temperament as part of the genetic soup that we've been created from, there's likely a part of that that influences our baseline sense of resiliency and being able to move forward. And a lot of resilience beyond that, I mean, the nervous system starts to wire up at second trimester. So we see compromised resilience because of a full container uh, that can start because mom was really sick in second trimester or really stressed or exposed to toxins or labor and delivery was very traumatic. I mean, it already is traumatic, but it is even more traumatic or there was something life threatening um, more than what it already feels like <laughs> that happened or she was separated from baby or baby had illness or, you know, all of these things that happen over the course of our life, whatever nervous system that we were granted through our genes, whatever size and shape of it, we have a layering of events, all of us do over time, of different things that were overwhelming that started to fill our container up. And so there are those cases of people where they just lucked out with this really great nervous system, and then they had an upbringing and parents to template off of because baby templates off of primary caregiver, especially in the early stages of life. So they had a mom that was attentive to their needs and they had a safe home and they had some of these other benefits that they were able to go through life. And when a trauma happened, take it a little more in stride. Others that have had some of these other issues compromise their resilience or fill up their container prematurely or it was small to begin with through no fault of their own are more impacted by even smaller events. So I think the myth of trauma has been, well, if it's this big trauma over here, then you're, you should definitely be impacted for life. And if it's this over here, like you just had a little fender bender or a minor illness, you shouldn't really be like we diminish it. And really, it's not about the size of the trauma as much as it is what's already cooking in your nervous system at the time and how big it was in the first place. And you're saying that um, we do our, we can change, the, our brain has an ability to change based on what we think. Is that, is that kind of, does SRT go into that at all? Or? It does. It does a lot um, because... And we manipulate with imagination and visualization because we know that the brain can change with experience. So if we make something an experience, it can, we can help encourage it to change in the way that we want it to change. So resilience, whatever you came to say sessions with me with, we can always increase that by um, regulating the nervous system, helping really train your nervous system how to expand and release a little bit better again, and then creating these new neural pathways around that level of health. So to sum this up, we are going to use our thinking processes to make a physical response in our brain and the rest of our body, our breathing, our muscles, our stomach, so we can 
um, improve our overall well-being. Correct. So our brain is no different than our muscles from what you're telling me. In, in order to um, be healthy, our muscles need to keep, you know, getting exercised and, and keep getting stressed. And you, so stress is not a bad thing necessarily for our brains. We, it builds resilience is what you're saying. Is that correct? It does. So there's a range where if something is considered too fast, too much, it's, and we don't have resources or we don't sense that we have resources to cope, it can be considered trauma and it can be stress that isn't necessarily healthy. For the most part, what they found too in a lot of research, and there's a great book called The Upside of Stress, um, it talks about how it's our perception of stress as well. So there's a bunch of factors really that go into whether stress is something that is crippling for us or something that we grow from. When you're more resilient, you tend to look at stress as being something that you can overcome like a challenge. But in general, yes, some stress is necessary to build resilience exactly like a muscle. It's like brain training all of the time. And in fact, if we are well regulated in our life, it's a good opportunity when we're really healthy and feeling robust anyway, to challenge ourselves with little bits of stress and little bits of exposure to things that excite us a bit or frighten us a little bit or that we need to overcome because we're meant to grow. So boredom and stagnation can be as activating to the nervous system as um, overwhelming stress. So it's finding, it's, it's learning that about yourself so that as you go through your life, you, you always know, am I regulated? Am I dysregulated? What do I need right now to be in this sweet spot of whatever I need in this moment? I find that very fascinating because many times um, for us in our, our um, own practice, we find patients that just don't respond to therapy and Part of it, it comes down to they're, they're stuck in that mental state of the flight. And so everything else is just totally um, a Band-Aid or you're trying to put, you know, corks in, in the bucket to stop it from, you know, uh, just dumping out of the bucket or, or pouring out. So um, many times um, there's probably certain clients that stick out in your brain as um, – being uh, a success story. And, and so would you touch on a couple of those that we can relate to and, and um, be glad that they have moved in the positive direction? <laughs> I can. I can speak to flight a little bit too, because fight and flight <laughs> show up in specific kind of cues in the body in sessions. So people will have TMJ or they'll clench or they're, they're, when we're talking about something and I say, what do you notice? They feel activation or energy in their hands. With flight, it's often in the legs. So because that activation is so physical, we'll actually work it out in the mind-body connection of how do you notice feeling like you want to run right now? And it's always energy in the legs. And then we'll imagine what would be the best, most the optimal way to actually run this out. Where would you go? Can you feel the rhythm of it? If they imagine it in their mind, they release a ton of heat and a ton of energy. They come back down to this baseline and then they're more receptive, as you were talking about, to some of these other suggestions because they're not in that fight or flight where they're 
frontal lobes are really offline and not able to receive new information or learn, we work it out in that way with both fight and flight. And once they're in that place, they have space to entertain new ideas and options. So um, that's a cool part of the work because when you see all of that energy leave and you can connect with them and they can see that they're in a different physiological space and they're relaxed, they suddenly are more open to, to places where maybe their whole life they have been shut down to. Yeah, that, you know, I can tell you, tell you that, um, you know, personally, I can feel some things trigger me sometimes. And I have some of those tendencies when, um, you know, I hear about something or I see something. And, and I think, I think, you know, when you look at some people's personalities, there's, there's always different ways of, of dealing with it. And I think, uh, you know, some people have to be a little bit more activated, a little bit more sympathetic at times. And maybe it's because of past traumas in their life that they're trying to overcome. And so they they feel like they have to have that adrenaline rush all the time or Entrepreneurs the time. and athletes are great to work with because <laughs> they, they do. They, but there is a, a sweet spot where they do operate and perform their best at. And helping them find that and knowing that they can be healthy and come back in, into a relaxation response to recover from, but then they can manipulate their own state to perform and it's still in the healthy range is really quite exciting. But it's not what I would say would be my like favorite case studies, which I can tell you a couple of those if you'd like. Yeah, let me comment and then we'll go into your case study. I, I, I want to hear about your case study, but, you know, I, I think... Um, one thing we talk about in the show quite often is there's really three things that we can do to keep our bodies healthy, and that is um, eat, exercise, eat well, exercise, and um, rest. And you know that even that not just physically with our with our physical body, but our mind also. And what you are saying really hits that 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 home is that yeah we need sympathetic responses. We need to go off the deep end every once in a while. We need to have you know the hit of dopamine, the hit of epinephrine. We need we need that stuff, but we also need to come down to recover. And you know an athlete will never ever per perform very well for very long. Um, if they're on the sympathetic activation all the time, they need recovery for their muscles, their physical body, but their mind also. Mm -hmm. We could all benefit from the sports psychology used for athletes because we all need it for life. And that, that program and that practice of being in, in the flow of moving into the other and kind of knowing yourself that way is so valuable. So tell us, go ahead, Janet. I just have to interject that. Um, you know, one of the things that we've been doing during this kind of lockdown has been um, we've been watching some athletes. And one of the comments that um, was made about Michael Jordan is that he was always in the presence. So, you know, there's something to be said about athletes and even uh, successful entrepreneurs that they've learned to be in the presence. So they've taken away all these other things around them that can negate their performance and become so razor sharp that they're able to execute because they've been able to say, nope, this isn't mattering right now. I don't care mm -hmm. about this. This is where I'm going to focus in. So that is um, true, I think, for um, most of us. That somewhere along the line, that would be a wonderful coping skill on a daily yeah. basis, you know, well, so... Well, and really, it all comes down to the to the deer analogy. When you think about it, if a deer is out in front of a car and it decides to run, it doesn't care about 
anything else around it. And that's what a high, high caliber athlete, you know, thinks it's like, okay, yeah. it doesn't matter what is going on right now. I need to score that basket. And, you know, so, and, and we need, we need that, but we also do need to come down. So yeah, that's yeah, great, that's Tara. Right. Thank you for that education. That's awesome. So mm-hmm. tell us, tell us about your case study. You've got a really good case study you'd like to share with us. What is that case study? It's one of my favorite and it was one of my first right when I finished my practicum. So um, anytime you're new to a profession, you're very eager and you're always you're nervous a little bit at the same time. And this was a very complex case. um, And I made sure I got really responsible supervision throughout because it was so critical uh, that there was the do no harm as as part of it and that I was giving this person really the best of not just me, but the lineage of anybody behind me. So it was a process of this person had been a nurse, um, had been diagnosed bipolar, had uh, a history of childhood sexual abuse. And I saw her when I was working exclusively in a sexual abuse center. And um, she had a substance abuse issue and and some addictions and um, disruptive relationships and basically had been uh, had come to see me fresh out of being discharged from the hospital for a manic kind of psychotic break. So if you're new to a profession, this is the case that you really don't want coming through the door in your first week. But um, it ended up being really such a beautiful process because it was an opportunity to use self-regulation therapy exclusively in the work with her and week by week work to regulate her nervous system to really um, forget about all of the labels that she'd been given and to just sit there and get into the flow of the work and she wasn't expected to ever return to work again. She wasn't expected to have successful relationships. She was on five to seven medications, psychoactive medications at a time. We worked together and in 10 sessions, she was approved to go back to work as a nurse because she was exhibiting such signs of health. She had reduced her medication by half and eliminated two of them altogether. I followed up with her as part of this process Two years later, she had been promoted to a supervisory position, certainly had no addiction or substance issues, had um, gotten married, was planning on having a baby, and was down to just one medication and living a life that she actually never imagined was even possible for her, which every time I tell the story, I get a little emotional about it because there's so many people that have been given a label based on symptoms or presentation And that's who you are. And that's the identity you create for yourself, but also the one everybody else gives you. And it seems like that's the best it's going to be for you. And to have something that isn't overwhelming in the process of this work, it's very gentle with the person um, and to help them move into such a place of resilience to see that their brain can change into being a healthy, productive, happy person of society that doesn't even need to see me anymore is I just feel it's brilliant and it's a brilliant example of the human capacity to heal what a great story thank you for sharing that you know it just makes me wonder um you know being in being a pharmacist we see we see it all the time and not just with Physical ailments, um, and you've mentioned a few of those, how stress can affect those, whether it be IBS, whether it be chronic fatigue, whether it be fibromyalgia, you know, 
put a label on it. Speaking of labels, you know, um, a lot of those can be can be cleared up by by um, changing our lifestyle, and that includes things like you're talking about self regulation. But I, you do see it in in mental health patients many times. You know, the ones that they add. They'll go in and in another month they're not doing very well. They're not doing any better, so they add another medication, and mm-hmm. it just seems like I mean, do you you know? And I, I get it. There's a, you know, there's extenuating circumstances for everybody, and and medications definitely have a role. Don't get me wrong, but you know, if those is it good for a patient to just be on five to seven medications for their mental health the rest of their life? I mean, aren't we trying to in healthcare? Like you said. She doesn't have to see you anymore. Isn't that kind of the goal? We don't want a per- patient to have to be taking a prescription medication. We don't want them to have to keep going to the doctor all the time, keep mm-hmm. going to the counselor all the time. The goal is that they can take care of, care of themselves, um, you know, keep themselves healthy. Is that is that correct? Absolutely. The goal is for a, the therapist should always have a goal of not seeing that person in therapy anymore. The and. A lot of people stop therapy prematurely. They stop when their symptoms feel manageable. And the goal in the kind of work that we do with self-regulation therapy is the real goal is how can you live a life of joy? If you've reached joy and you know how to access joy, that's the end of therapy. That's you know the conclusion of this. And so we set that standard at the beginning of any of these sessions is we're going to know when we're done here because your life is gonna look like this. And then they know what to look for. And it is almost always beyond what anybody else has told them was achievable or possible. And yes, a lot of them choose to taper off or don't need those medications anymore. I have very few clients in 10 years that have ever needed to stay on their medications. And a lot of that too, is we do this work, but we're also focused on What kind of a lifestyle do you have outside of this one hour session that includes nutrition and lifestyle and all the things we're learning about the brain to keep your inflammation down and supplements that you can take that support brain health uh, because brain health is mental health. So it's part of this package of also looking at, have you had labs done? Do you have deficiencies? Do you have toxins? Do you have parasites? Do you have, you know, there's a whole range of things that the traditional community isn't looking at where the first symptom is a mental health symptom. If those underlying root causes, and I'll work with the trauma piece, but if the underlying causes aren't dealt with, that person just gets one medication after another, and that's it. And there's way more to life than that if we're digging a little deeper and if we're working collaboratively in the integrative space, I think. Well, we see it all the time in our practice at Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy. You know, we specialize in hormone replacement therapy, and we see it all the time in men and women in their 40s and 50s, and they get diagnosed with some kind of, usually depression it starts with, and a lot of times it's a hormone deficiency. And if they're, you know, if their thyroid is not balanced and their testosterone is not balanced and their other hormones aren't balanced, they are not going to feel optimal. So why don't we fix those issues, which can fix a lot of other issues rather than just um, putting a drug on it as a band-aid just to treat a symptom or even seeing a therapist for a symptom when really the horn the endocrine system is going to trump anything i do in sessions so if you need your hormones balanced let's get you to the best people to do that because then you might not even need me and if you do need to see me it's going to be a much shorter experience to to get you to be where you want to be 
That's right. All these all these pieces of the puzzle have to come together. It's not just one thing, yeah. um, but but the whole goal is to get the patient to be able to, you know, be on as few medications as possible and, and regulate themselves. And that that is through n- nutrition, diet, recovery, um, sleep, and um, you know, exercise. Exercise. I, I've said it before on this podcast. Exercise is the best mental health boost ever invented. Absolutely. Ever. Yeah. Especially, you know, some kind of hit therapy. If it's intense exercise, there is no better drug than than that for sure. Mm-hmm. So you have another great story about maybe even a few of them. If you could share one of them about postpartum, you've had some great successes with some um, women postpartum. Tell us about that. I have, and I love those pieces because you know that the mental health future of that baby as it grows into a child and adolescent is templating off of that mom. So if mom is suffering postpartum, it's impacting the way that the baby's nervous system is wiring up. And so that work early on, as soon as it's noticed, is so important because it can change everybody's life right from the very beginning. Um, I had one uh, client that I had worked with her postpartum after her first baby. And then when she wanted to have her second, we did some prep work for while she was prenatal. And we had a game plan for if anything, for if things were optimal, and everything was great. And also if things were not optimal, Um, focusing on the optimal outcome always, uh, because then you have a better chance of getting it. But in this case, she did have what was looking like it was going to be psychosis um, at about the day two or three postpartum. So instead of going, she had a lot of pressure to go on medication right away. uh, And she was very concerned about that. And I said, and I don't make house calls by practice, but I had a history with this patient. And I went to her location and we did a session, kind of like an emergency session on the spot. And a lot of it was helping her recover and come out of the trauma that was the labor and delivery because there were some complications at the end as well that kept her stuck in it. We worked through that trauma, brought her to a conclusion of it. I saw her nervous system start to settle. And then I had her husband hold her the baby who she hadn't even wanted to hold at that point. And as she was starting to kind of come into that parasympathetic, relaxed response, much healthier state, Um, the husband handed her the baby and they both just kind of went, their breathing shifted. They started co-regulating off of each other. You could see the really the animal innate co-regulation that happens, the health of that, of her system now imprinting on the baby that had been upset um, because of all this and watching both of them settle and come into this baseline was uh, life-changing for me to witness. Um, But from that point on, she only needed two more sessions and really it had resolved. So it wasn't a situation where she needed to be admitted into the hospital, which is what they were worried about. She didn't need to be on antidepressants. She was able to avoid any chronicity in that area. And she and the baby continued through those months in a very healthy way. The baby slept great. The baby wasn't agitated. And now the baby's three years old and happy, well-regulated, super healthy. So is the mom. So it was an example of how the right care early on for any postpartum mom 
can really be life-changing, life-saving for both mom and baby. Well, and, you know, you mentioned how, you know, the, the mom and the dad, they just went, I got to think. Yeah, I got to think. Yeah. I don't know if you could see it, but I got to think the baby did the same thing. The baby knew exactly well, that's what, I meant. what was going the, on. Yeah, the baby went. Oh, yeah. It was like right. the, everybody, the whole room <laughs> decompressed. And it was like, here we are. And you couldn't be more present, even with breath. And she was able to notice the baby's you know, feet and perfect ears and take in the the goodness of this because she was no longer in a survival state of fight or flight and how do I get out of here? Um, and, and none of the guilt that came with it because we were able to really quickly get her back down into a baseline that was healthy and the baby followed suit. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've seen. Wow. So Janet, um, as a mom, do you have any comments on that? I do because, you know, many times as a parent, we, um, we get thrown things to us, whether maybe your child is going to have a surgery or something that might be traumatic in their future. And we know as parents that we need to prepare, but it's a very difficult moment. So I'm sure there's some things that we can learn along the way as parents to be better parenting in those cues. But a lot of times we just kind of plow through it. We just have to walk through it. But um, what would you say to the, the parent that, you know, their child's facing an event, um, you know, they're going to have a surgery or procedure or, you know, something traumatic is, is on the horizon? Well, I've had that with my son when he was three. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember, uh, and for me, it was intuitive. And I think that was really lucky, uh, wherever that came from. But there was an intuition of this must be really scary for a three-year-old and I'm an adult. And so I really need to use all my resources to not lose it here and to um, be positive and optimistic and forecast only good things and allow only positive things into this room. And somehow I was just conscious of the importance of doing that. And I think I wish as a parent uh, before him, as with my first even, there would have been more of that information out there about as a mom, you are going to go into fight or flight so quickly as any parent, actually, you go into fight or flight really quickly. Here's some things that you can do to just be aware of that, because once you bring awareness to, oh, I'm getting activated, I'm going to charge, you can start to use tools and to use practices to bring yourself out of it and really keep that separation of what's the energy I want to imprint on this child right now. And the more you're aware of it, the more you can um, start to have a sense of controlling it or getting professional help if you need help to do that so that your kids are not carrying your activation into their life uh, as well as their own. Wow, that's a great story. What a, what a great podcast, great session. Thank you for all the information you've given, Tara. So in the last few minutes to sum it up, um, you know, are the, what, what are parting words that you have? And if somebody wants to reach out to you, um, how do they get a hold of you? So parting words would be you have more control over your state and changing your state and changing your brain and living a life that you really desire that is full of joy than you ever thought possible. It is possible. So if you've been given a label, if you feel like things are never going to get better, the brain wants to change over the entire course of your life and you can help learn ways to help it do so. So um, never accept that where you are is where you need to stay, especially when it comes to mental health. 
as far as finding me, you can find me on my website uh, is probably the easiest at taradonmiller.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Tara, thank you so much for your information. We, you know, our goal of this, our goal of our podcast is to educate and empower um, individuals that they are in charge of their own health. And that includes mental health. Um, you know, they are in charge of it. So the more information that we can give them, the, the better um, so they can control that. And you've definitely um, added a lot of insight with your with uh, SRT. So thank you for explaining that. And we appreciate we appreciate you being on. And you've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. We're a team Needham discuss everything healthcare. Tomorrow, we have Dr. Susan Ashley on our podcast. She is going to be talking about NAD and how it has helped overcome many different addictions with alcohol, uh, methamphetamine, opioids, many other addictions also. So you don't want to miss that. And, of course, Thursday, I have a big guest on, Libertarian Vice Presidential Candidate Spike Cohen. And we'll be, we'll be on our podcast Thursday. You don't want to miss out on that. We are going to be talking about um, free market health care, you know, one of my favorite topics. I wrote a book on it, Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare. And how to fix it. There's a six-step solution in that book. It's available on Amazon, Kindle form. Go to Amazon, download the book. We'd really appreciate that. And uh, we will be tuning in tomorrow, 1 o'clock, with Dr. Susan Ashley. Thank you so much for listening and watching. (laughs) 